There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey, folks, welcome back to the show. It's another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. And for those of you out there that consider yourselves automobile enthusiasts, and or niche specialization enthusiast, you are going to be very happy with this episode. Our guest for today is none other than uh, the founder and president of NCM Insurance. That stands for the National Corvette Museum. He is in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Mr. Adam Boca. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Really appreciate that. James, thank you. I really appreciate appreciate the opportunity and uh, look forward to, to, to your readers or to your listeners, and uh, you know, listen in Man, on what if we they're do. Reading a podcast, they've got some kind of special power that I'd like to tap into. <laughs> Holy right. cow! Right now, what's uh, what's going on for you, man? How's your day going? Uh, day's crazy. It's uh, it's been a very busy day. It's been a great day. We have written a lot of policies and quoted a lot of potential customers, so I can't complain. You know, you are about as niched down as it gets. You know, my friend uh, Charles Specht would say you are micro niched because you have found a secret sauce that works for how you want to operate. And that's the most of what we're going to talk about in this episode is the the practice of classic and high-value automobile insurance. You have a market that you use almost exclusively that we really haven't talked that much about in the, the episodes we've done here on AFP. So, man, I, I would love to just start with, with your why. What is it about the practice of insurance that attracts you? I, I I feel like our industry, and this is something you guys out there in Freedom Jumperland are going to hear a lot more from me in the next year. Every time we turn over another year of anniversary, I find myself thinking, okay, what is the the theme? What is the improvements we need to make with the podcast? And one of the things is just being a little bit more aware of the emotional uh, and metaphysical and human components of what all of us are doing. Every guest that comes on the show here in my office at Riskwell, and just have a little bit more, um, you know, connected vibe where we're getting to know our guests more as people, understanding the why and the how, and not just the who, what, where, when of tell us about your agency and tell us about your marketing plans and the special doodads that you do in your office and what do you think about embedded or whatever, you know, chat GPT or whatever the topic happens to be. We're going to be a little bit more human in the third year 
and onward of our podcast. So Adam, thank you for indulging my little explanation there. Um, what's your why? Why do you keep doing the grind that we all do? Yeah, no, I mean, first, um, you know, we're very, like you mentioned, very niche market agency that, you know, a lot of folks really don't love writing collector vehicle in, you know, policies because the premiums are not super big. So in order to, to do really well, you have to write a lot of them. Uh, we've just, fi- you know, figured out kind of the method and, and, you know, and I know your previous guests have talked about just being, you know, very diligent and repetitive in, in that ask. And, yeah. uh, but, but ultimately the reason why is we at the National Corvette Museum kept on receiving phone calls from customers saying, who do you recommend for insurance? And we, we were going to work out a fee per lead program with, with a, another larger scale agency, but it just didn't make sense to turn business away from us. And so in 2009, I was tasked with, with creating this agency from nothing. Uh, so a scratch agency, as everybody refers it to. And um, we started with zero policies. We've not done any M&As. Uh, we're very socially active, very uh, active within the you know, various cars and coffee groups and uh, we're just involved in the hobby and ultimately why, you know, we want to protect people's assets and uh, we want to protect their, their collector vehicles and uh, uh, a byproduct is making money. And, uh, and that all goes back to, to our mothership, uh, my mothership, the, uh, the National Corvette Museum. So it's a great uh, revenue stream um, and it's just a great product to, to offer our guests or our customers and members. You have a very unique position in the retail independent agent space. Because unlike most people that just kind of found their way here through various organic means, you know, you put in uh, an application looking for a career change, wanted to be an entrepreneur. There's so many other reasons why people get into the insurance game as an agency principal. Yours is completely different. You know, your, your journey to the insurance industry was extremely intentional. You came in with a mandate from, from your employer and made it what it is and you know 14 15 years later you become a monster in a very specific niche how did that happen what was the vision from day one to you know slowly become a dominant presence in a very small very well-defined niche yeah i i always had that vision and and i've shared kind of with my team over the years you know kind of the 10-year plan um you know about five years ago and, uh, and we're, we're hitting those marks, we're crossing those, those goals. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's very different. You know, I'm not, I'm not the agency owner, but I, I have ownership pride and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I sit back every single day and watch your numbers and I figure out ways to make it better for the, the customer and better for our team. And I have a team of, of nine individuals that just kick some, you know, butt daily and, uh, and, and it is a grind. I mean, we're writing, writing hundreds of policies a month. And, um, you know, we're just very fortunate. That's extremely organic. We don't do the lead, uh, generating thing. We don't buy leads. We've never, never, we don't cold call. Um, yep. so we're a very different business model. And you don't have any need to cold call. It sounds like, yeah, we're you know, very I, fortunate. I think of you in the same regard. And I, I know you'll get this reference because of what you do. Your operation is kind of like a formula one team where you may not be the owner of the team, but you're the principal of the team. Uh, absolutely. You know, you're spot on. Yeah. And uh, are you an F1 fan? Uh, very much an F1 fan. And uh, uh, we were hoping to get to Austin this year. Whew, man. It's in October, if I remember correctly. We tried last year. One of our 
uh, colleagues, Kenny Boardman, actually in Austin. You probably know Kenny. You guys are in the same same ecosystem, uh, same similar niches. And uh, Kenny had one of his clients that said they would probably be able to make some tickets happen. And then unfortunately, some logistics didn't play out. And I'm still... uh, Still hopeful to to make it to uh, the Circuit of the Americas or CODA. You know, Austin was OG Formula One in right. the U.S. And now they've got a Las Vegas race and a Miami, Miami. race. And it's like, wow, okay. You know, I, I have to give credit to the knuckleheads for introducing me to, uh, to F1 and to the Drive to Survive show on Netflix, which I think a lot of people have probably found F1 because of that show. I agree. Uh, so, so you must have a favorite team, a favorite driver. Yeah, I mean, obviously Red Bull. Uh, my kid is—I uh, have a 12-year-old son, and he's a complete gearhead, and uh, and he wants to either be uh, in the Indy 500 or F1, and and so his his thing is he he loves Red Bull, and, uh, hmm. and for stopping, I can't I can't blame him. No, I mean any any kind of dominant presence in any sport, even sports that I don't care about. When you watch, and really, not even sports, just activities in general. I don't know if, if you're like this at all, Adam, but if I'm watching someone who is the very best at whatever their discipline is, it could be fencing in the Olympics or something obscure that I don't have really any interest in, but watching someone who is the very, very best at that thing is just captivating. I almost don't care what if it was competitive basket weaving. <laughs> right. But you're watching the the you know, odds on the best competitive basket weaver in the world. Well, I want to watch that. Let's see what this is all about. Yep. What what better way to learn a new thing, right? Than to watch the very best at that thing. Yep, you're absolutely right. Man. Now, I um yeah, I, I just love the F1 thing. Sorry for uh taking it totally off course there, but it it occurred to me that uh you probably had a similar interest there in the F1 world. So you get the mandate from your, uh, for your NCM, your National Corvette Museum uh, brass, and they say, hey, Adam, run this thing. Build a team, make it happen. What then? Because a lot of our audience is still on the captive side. We, we have a, a very broad, uh, spec- across the spectrum, people that listen to this podcast a lot of current agency owners and, and staff, people that have been in the game for a long time or people that know me and for whatever reason find me entertaining or enjoyable in some way. But then there's a lot of folks that are using this podcast for reconnaissance, for figuring out how in the world do I make my freedom jump, as we call it around these parts. For those people that have no idea exactly what the nuts and bolts of a launch looks like, what kind of advice would you give them from your experience of creating something out of nothing? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I'm in a very different position, thankfully. And my, my launch was essentially a $46,000 or 46,000 email list that uh, was qualified members of the National Corvette Museum. So my, my start was very non-traditional. We, uh, we sent out this massive email in April of 2009 and uh, and I still have the notepad to where I wrote down hundreds of voicemails from day one. Um, I had to call and help from our, our carrier to pretty much get down to to the to our agency and uh, or to the museum, and we needed to start banging out phone calls. So very non traditional, completely different startup than anybody else in this space. It was pretty much just being you know death by fire, pretty much, but. Uh, 
ultimately, I think when starting your agency, regardless you know of the circumstances, uh, is just know your product, know your customer, and know what your goals are. And I think it's good to to write down three different types of goals. I'm I'm a big fan of of goals, like a lot of your other you know guests have been. So I think re- you know really just you know an attainable goal, a stretch goal, and uh, and and for me like a super stretch goal. And every time I, I mark those off, I'm going for the next you know set of goals. But uh, you know make somewhat make them attainable. You know, and that way you you feel like you're productive and getting it done. And um, you know align yourself with some of the best carriers and other agents that that could help guide you along the way. I think I think having mentors in this space is extremely important. You know, I agree. You've, you've heard enough of this podcast to know exactly how I think about that. It was, so it sounds like from what you just said, the sales and marketing components of the launch, 46,000 emails. That's amazing. You don't have to end up with any kind of impressive conversion uh, numbers to end up with way too much work. So the sales and marketing piece, okay, great. You've got that figured out and nailed down. But I'm sitting here looking at my revenue operations or RevOps framework. I'm looking at operations and back office and regulatory and HR and training and onboarding and and all the client lifecycle things and carrier management and technology that comes in. How in the world did you make sense of that coming in from completely outside of the industry where all at once you're not just learning how to run a business as the principal of this agency, you're also learning insurance itself. Right. Concurrently, how, how was that? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Um, you know, a, again, non-traditional um, way of starting up. The, the carrier, we, we use um, two different carriers mainly: American Modern and Haggerty. They're they're two top collector vehicle uh, carriers. We're we're number one with uh, American Modern, and we're in the top twenty-five with Haggerty uh, with regard to size and, and the amount of business we th- we throw towards them. But American Modern very early on took us underneath their wing and and really helped guide us to make sure that we're we were making the right choices um, at the right time. And I was able to to go and train at their corporate headquarters one on one with other folks, other agents or or customer service uh, individuals, and underwriting. You know, obviously, like you mentioned, you know, coming in fresh, I had zero idea and. Um, you know, one, I never knew I was going to get an insurance, I think, like many of us. But uh, it was it, it was very nice knowing that you had a backbone and a support system that, um, you know, from the carrier level. American Modern is a very interesting specimen. Uh, they really are one of a kind. Uh, they, they have a variety of niches. And it, they don't really intermingle at all. Like, they are one of the only... Uh, carriers that will write all the super weird property. You got a geodesic dome uh, that you've converted into a home. American Modern will probably write that. You've you've made a home out of a a, a boat dock on stilts. No problem. American Modern will write that. Oh, you've got an actual legit log cabin that's eighty five years old. American Modern will probably write that. And, and then on the the specialty side of things, the specialty auto side, their appetite is immense. It is really cool the way that they approach very specific products. Because, of course, they have underwriting guidelines. They're just extremely broad guidelines in, in very clearly defined verticals. Right. I, I don't know of any other carrier that operates quite like they do. You know, They can do schedules of, of real estate investor policies 
hundreds and hundreds of policies on, on one master. And it's the very same carrier that writes, you know, Corvette policies and, and other collectible vehicles and exotics as well. You know, you got a daily driver that's a Ferrari F, you know, F12 Berlinetta or whatever it is. It's like American model will probably write your Ferrari. It's, it's incredible to me the way that that one carrier approaches the marketplace. And it sounds like you guys have found a real winning relationship there. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what you just said was completely foreign to me. I have no idea what a lot of that is. Um, <laughs> the you know the vacant well properties, quirky <laughs> weirdness that American Modern is like. Oh yeah, sure, we'll write it. <laughs> right, yeah, it fits. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, yeah, very much so. Yeah, the and it's cool because we we hold the pen. Uh, we're we're to the level in volume that that we write unbelievable numbers. You know, monthly. That uh, that they pretty much said you underwrite the policies, you issue the policies, and we can typically quote to bind in ten minutes. Mm. Um, and so we're just very fortunate. Again, it's one of our sole providers, and uh, they put enough faith and trust in us, and have for the last seven, eight, nine years that we hold the pen, which is awesome in in our space. Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. So getting this thing off the ground... Uh, looking at it again, sales and marketing is nailed down. I'm going to circle back there because I think I may have drawn you off sides in a different direction of answering the question there. You know, you come in, you're learning insurance, drinking from the fire hose, terminology, and all the things that we all go through when we are early in our careers. Uh, you went through with support, which it sounds like was essential to what you've been able to accomplish here. How do you make sense of? all the things that are your responsibility as a principal, uh, attracting new talent and onboarding and doing all the things at the same time you're trying to figure out what is the ideal client journey. When someone calls the National Corvette Museum and asks for an insurance quote, how does that supposed to go? Like what, what did you do to make sense of your responsibilities as a leader of a, a very unique insurance agency uh, in, in the first couple of years? How did you manage all that? Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, the first couple of years were, were definitely not, not as busy as we are today, um, and, and so that that ramping up and scaling ha- has been, you know, has, has definitely been a learning curve, but um, not something that was completely, um, you know, un- unrealistic and unattainable. But you know, the first couple of years, literally from two thousand and nine to twenty twelve, I was the only person in the agency, and and then I was able to hire. Uh, a, a CSR slash agent, and uh, and her name was Bobby Joe. She was fabulous. She was with us until uh, 2020, and then you know we've just slowly been adding you know team members to it. This last year, I've added three. So our our whole training process has really finally caught up with us this year. 
mm-hmm. we had no great training, you know, process or training program or manual. It was literally, you know, drinking from the fire hose, as you mentioned. But, you know, compliance to agent licensing, to agency licensing, to, you know, business entity licensing, we've all just, I've just learned uh, from, you know, just the get-go. You know, it was, it was, again, it was either I take it on and pay less money and make the company more money, or I get it to somebody else and let them handle it, and then it costs us an arm and a leg. And so I've always been kind of that shrewd that if I can figure out a way to do it, I'm going to do it. And uh, same with, with the customer journey piece. You know, how do we make it better? And and the only way we make it better is listen to our customers. If they have a have a friction point, I think as, as Patrick McBride called it, then we need to figure out how to make that, that friction point go away. Yeah, Patrick is definitely making himself famous for the get the F out quote. Right. Uh, with F being friction, of course, right. not the other options out there. <laughs> right. Now, man, what uh, what has scale looked like? How in the world have you gone from a startup, and obviously you have some systemic advantages with your direct affiliation with the National Corvette Museum. That being said, nothing has been delivered to you on a silver platter. How do you uh, how do you ascribe the success uh, that has come? What what has that been the result of? Uh, yeah, I mean, great question. It's a question that we often ask ourselves. Um, you know, we're, again, very fortunate, very uh, very much in a different position. One of the things that, that I really love to, I guess, share about our process is, you know, when we, when we have a customer, say, in, say, for instance, in Florida, if, you know, a hurricane is coming, we, we're on the horn. We're trying to figure out from the very beginning, we would make individual phone calls to these customers. Hey, there's a a storm coming, you know, we want to pay to get your car out, you know, to hire dryer safer ground. It's cheaper for us to pay to relocate than it is to pay a total loss. So we've just been very hands-on in our approach. Um, obviously with our size now, we can't just call up, you know, all say, I mean, thousands upon thousands of customers in Florida. It's just impossible. So, you know, with, with the systems that we have in place, and some of the the automation, it's just simple triggers that that key the messaging off to the customer, and they feel like they're still getting that same and equal touch point that they think they deserve, and they do. So, what kind of headaches do you have at this point after, gosh, almost fifteen years in operation? It sounds like you've had wild success. Uh, you know, a, a burning forest fire just taking ground <laughs> wherever it wants. Uh, in some ways. I have to I have to assume that there are some challenges, some big hairy problems that you are working to solve as the principal, you know, of an almost 15-year-old agency that has had a rapid growth curve. I would guess and this don't steer you in any particular direction, finding talent in this current environment and figuring out who your next team member is is probably near the top of those concerns. Uh, talk about that and really anything else that you're dealing with on, on the struggle side of the coin. Sure. No, I mean, team, you know, we fired three people this year. And yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, finding great individuals that one not only can sell, but mesh with your team is is a challenge. It's a struggle. We work in you know a very small space. I mean, three thousand square feet. I mean, twenty seven hundred square feet actually. And there's nine of us. Um, I have one seat over at the National Corporate Museum, and the rest of us are off site. We don't do the hybrid or work remote thing. 
because we really work well together. We hear each other talking to the next person. We, you know, can chime in and, and, and uh, give little tidbits of info if we want. And, and that way we're just really connecting with that customer. But we also connect very, how, how do I say it? Very, um, you know, all of us are friends outside of work, which is an amazing uh, dynamic within our office. The text messaging, you know, happens all night with each other in group chats. But we're not afraid of each other. There's no hierarchy that people, you know, that are in most big jobs or big corporate jobs, you know, have. There's none of that here. There's no walls. The door is always open and uh, to everybody here. So it's very amazing dynamic. How does that happen? What what do you attribute uh, that kind of, of positive, warm, affirming culture to? Because that is something that I think every single principal that has been able to create that or co-create that uh, in their office is something I'm very proud of personally because I think every member of our team uh, would say that we've done a really good job of that here at Riskwell. There's a lot of work that goes into building out that kind of positive culture. How has that happened in your shop with your team? You mentioned you guys are friends and you I would imagine you probably have stuff after hours where you might, you know, grab a bite to eat or, you know, go see uh, a concert or whatever the flavor of the month happens to be. What What is that like for you guys? How do you support a, a positive, affirming culture? Yeah, so, I mean, there, there's several things. One, you know, we have to rotate our lunches, unfortunately, just because of our volume throughout the day. So, but if there's a birthday, then, you know, sometimes we'll bring in lunch or whatever that may be. Everybody does that. But afterwards, you know, we'll sometimes we'll, we'll have everybody over to my house and a former, throw this former, um, alternate on MasterChef, so I'm a cook. You know, it's it's a wow. a, a big thing for me, and and so we'll we'll get everybody over and and just throw down and uh you know like pizza. We were talking about pizza. I'm a pizza pizza Nazi, pizza snob, I guess you would say. Hmm. And uh and so I make my own, and I have a pizza oven, and so we'll just throw down on on the pizza oven. But we so is a, that your specialty area? When you say you're a cook, uh, you didn't refer to yourself as a chef, which I think uh, says a lot because people that refer to themselves as chef there might be a little bit of um you know professional what, what's the word there um i didn't try to think it. of a polite way of saying cocky yep. uh, but yeah you're a cook so uh, you have a a special signature dish right uh yeah i mean it's uh is it pizza or is it something else so it's middle eastern barbecue and pizza it's a whole mix of you middle know, eastern barbecue and pizza Where's yeah. the common thread that those three get thrown together? I don't know, but I'm round, and uh, and so I, I'm the perfect shape around by eating all those all those things. Oh man! So when you say <laughs> Middle Eastern, what what does that mean to you? That's a broad category. It is, yeah. So like uh, Persian, okay, Kurdish. Um, my dad's from the Middle East, so I kind of grew up. Awesome uh, on it. So now, what is your favorite Persian or Kurdish dish? Oh. Drop some knowledge on us. Uh, let's, I mean, kebabs. I mean, who don't love kebabs? Who doesn't uh, love kebabs? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like awesome. But, uh, yeah, kebabs, uh, rice, salad, but, uh, it's Man. all simple stuff. But. I am haunted by a trip that I took to Russia in 2010. And we were haunted. at a mall in Russia and it was an Uzbek restaurant. And they, that was the first time I ever had shawarma in my life. <laughs> right. It was done right. The lamb was on the spit. The pita was warm. The tzatziki was was just perfect and creamy and a little bit of kick. 
And I spent the better part of a decade trying to replicate really good shawarma. And I've come to find out it's not even originally an Uzbek food. <laughs> it's Lebanese right. is where it originated from. I was like, I've been high, looking at the wrong restaurants entirely. I need to look for a Lebanese restaurant. Finally found a couple of great spots here in the Dallas area, but only after literally a decade of being haunted by a meal that was just mind-blowing amazing. That's so, awesome. any that, that part of the world, I swear, has the most interesting food to me. So, yep, I, agree. I don't know how to get back to insurance from that. So, I would just you know, pivot back to your journey, your experience. And when, when you decided that, hey, this is what I'm going to do, what was your, your head at as far as, as the motivation? Because I started with this question, then we got sidetracked and went into background and never really came back to it. So my curiosity has peaked now. You've been doing this for 14 years. You've had a lot of success. What's your why? When, what makes you get out of bed in the morning and do this stuff every day all over again? No, it's, it's, I mean, honestly, it's a great question. I think a lot of us question our why. Um, and, you know, the confirmation whenever I get a phone call from a, a customer who um, either lost a loved one as a result of an accident or their, their car is gone, um, that, that was their, their pride and joy, uh, that's my why. That's what keeps me coming back to this. And, um, you know, I'm not motivated myself by money. It doesn't... I mean, I think a lot of people get kind of lost in that. And uh, for me, it's making sure that my my customers have the very best in coverage uh, for their particular need. And um, and I know we're doing everything we can to provide that. Love it. No, just that provider protector mentality of just taking good care of people. I mean, that at, at the end, that is the very essence of what we do, right? That's right. I tell people all the time, the number one reason why insurance was created was to pay claims. Yeah. I mean, plain and simple. Yeah. Man, I, I have run out of good questions here. Anything you want to share with us? Any fun tidbits, a, a story, anything before we land the plane and get you back to your afternoon, Adam? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, collector cars, you know, we, we tell people all the time, it doesn't have to be that, that, uh, you know, three or $400,000 uh, Lamborghini or whatever it may be. It could be that $3,500 Miata that we insure all the way up to that 3.2 million Koenigsegg. Um, so, you know, what what is your collector vehicle definition doesn't mean it's mine. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, we, we, I preach that to my team all the time that, uh, you know, don't, don't cut down somebody's uh, collection because it's all Chevette's. That hmm. could just be what they love. They love, that's the car that probably hung on their, on their wall when they were a kid, and that's uh, what they own. You know, when I hear collector car, I'm reminded of a, a situation when I was in high school, and there was a, a, an older gentleman who was very, very successful. I come to find out later on, many years later, that he was in life insurance, which I think is hysterical. That, that's the path that my career took. His name was Don Weir, and he drove a 1993 Nissan 300ZX, and it had the T-top, hardtop on it. It was the, the, the twin turbo, and my word, I thought that was the coolest car that had ever been invented ever in the history of mankind. At the age of 17, of course. Didn't right. really know my cars, but I, he let me drive that car to prom my junior year of high school, 
you would have thought I was Mario Andretti himself. I found a couple of curvy roads uh, outside of Lufkin, Texas, which is uh, a, a small, dumpy little town in the middle of, of East Texas. So there's small country roads, you know, two-lane roads, aplenty. And yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I didn't do any damage to his car that I'm not aware of because I put that sucker through its paces, <laughs> nice. going much faster than I should be going as a 17-year-old down a two-lane country road. But uh, I, I'm sure lots of people, you, you say, you know, it doesn't have to be a Lamborghini. And I'm thinking, I, I went and looked it up not that long ago because I was just curious if I wanted to get my hands on a 1993 Nissan 300ZX and relive my 17-year-old glory. They've gone how, bonkers. I, I was appalled at how much they cost now. <laughs> right. I was like, whoa, six figures for yeah. a car that... Has, was never even remotely close to six figures back right. in its day. It's it's unbelievable. Whew. I had a um I had a I bought a a Ferrari out of a fraternity house, literally a fraternity house. Nobody knew it was there. Um, I paid fifty five hundred for it uh, back just four years ago. Wow! And three weeks later, sold it for for uh, almost forty thousand. And incredible. Uh, it was incredible, and I just got that call from a customer that said, hey, I got this car you might want to come see, and it has to be gone in four days, so light bulb went off, and I took the jump, but uh, yeah, we hear those stories all the time, and it's just like, holy cow, the market is nuts, and yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's fun to be a part of. Whew. Everybody's got a good car story, don't they, it seems. They, they absolutely do. Man, Adam, th- this has been a really interesting conversation shorter than our typical episodes but with you being as specific as niche down as you are i'm honestly not surprised uh we could talk about your tech stack and all the usual suspects that every agency has i don't know if that'd be terribly interesting given what you're up to anything else you want to talk about before we land the plane i feel like this is a a good you know niche down episode Yeah, yeah no no pun intended no, absolutely. I don't know if I can put a plug in, but... Uh, absolutely, we, man. Plug away. Do, we, do your thing. We are doing sub-agents. So we have sub-agents that write our product for us. We underwrite it. You get it approved in 20 minutes. You can check us out if you want. If somebody's interested in learning about the sub-agent program, if they want to talk to you about you know getting one of those sub-agent appointments and working underneath the NCM brand uh, for marketing purposes, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, they can just actually go to ncminsurance.com and click on Become an Agent. And uh, we have about 15 agents signed up, and we're turning quotes in as little as literally 20 minutes hmm. from quote to, to ready to issue. So, Well, and the interesting thing is in much of the country, American Modern is not offering direct appointments to agents at all. Uh, they're right. at capacity for appointments in many states. Uh, I had to go through some effort and you know work my back channels and my network to be able to get access to them without going through some MGA program. So for those of you folks that uh, are out there in Freedom Jumper land, uh, that may be a great opportunity for you to pursue to get direct access through NCM to a a fantastic program from American Modern. A lot of folks know Haggerty. Uh, They think of Haggerty as kind of the the usual suspect for uh, this type of insurance nationwide. American Modern isn't in every state, as Adam and I were talking about uh, briefly before we hit the record button. But American Modern's program is phenomenal. And I would think very competitive against Haggerty in most places, right? Uh, exactly. They're typically 30 to 60% less in, in most cases. And it's... Uh, similar coverage, similar form, and, and similar you know exclusions and, and nuances, I'm sure. 
very much so. Yeah, very very similar product. Uh, occasional community work option. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's all very comparable to what you would find with the big players. Awesome. Yep. Well, folks, we'll drop that information there in the show notes. NCM Insurance, and look for the Become an Agent button. Adam, anything else before we go, man? No, just great seeing you at the agency success uh, uh, convention a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you know, Nick and Will and the Better Agency team put on a great conference. Definitely was a thrill to get to be in the room with Damon John from Shark Tank. I don't know when the next one is. I think we're all kind of feeling conference and event fatigue. Uh, I know yeah. attendance was less than what they anticipated, but I think attendance at every conference is less than an organizers are hoping for. I don't know about you, I'm a little bit tired of the the huge big national conference thing in a general sense. Uh, looking for more opportunities to connect on a more personal level, for sure. Yeah. I, any I, thoughts on the conference scene? I imagine you probably are pretty active in the conference circuit. So I don't do a ton of insurance uh, conferences, just to be honest. I do or just car conferences, though, uh, like we, events. Yeah, we do about 26 or so uh, car-related events a year. I'll be in Houston next week and uh, just had an event this past weekend as well. So, you know, it's, it's my game. It's what I love. And, uh, and so going to these things is... is Pretty much it. That's my jam. That's what I what I do every day. Fantastic. He is Adam Boca. He is the principal of NCM, the National Corvette Museum Insurance in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And this has been a very niche episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Let's go.